0: Oh. You're going to have to excuse my snottiness. <laughs> I'm um, not well, actually, this evening, which is an interesting thing to come to teach <laughs> and have a cold or something like that. But uh, despite all that, and if you. <laughs> If you find um, my voice actually might go up and down, so just let me know and uh, yeah, you'll have to excuse the sniffles. This is part of life, isn't it? so uh, what I'd like to do to begin with is give you a a map of what this Eightfold Path is. And I know that uh, some of you are really familiar with this particular listing of teachings because it is a, a, an essential part of the, Buddhist, the Buddha's teachings. Um, in fact, I was, I was reading uh, this wonderful book. This is called The, Eightfold, uh, the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, The Way to the End of Suffering by Bhikkhu Bodhi. I highly recommend this for those of you who are wanting to get further, further into this particular list. And I'll keep it up here. So at the end, if you want to just check it out. It um, is, it is it downloadable? Oh, wonderful. Thank you. OK, so if you Google Biku Bodhi Eightfold Path, this is downloadable. Yay. And it's, um, it's, it's just very clear. Uh, and relatable, e- quick, quick read, although I don't recommend you read it quickly. I recommend you, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> take your time. <laughs> but one of the, the, the way that Bhikkhu Bodhi introduces the... the Bhikkhu Bodhi, so Biku is B-H-I-K-K-H-U, and then Bodhi is B-O-D-H-I. I believe it. Um, And he is uh, um, one of the main modern translators from Pali to English in this tradition uh, at this point in time. And uh, so he, he introduces this. as He says that the essence of the Buddha's teachings can be summed up in two principles, and one is the Four Noble Truths, which I'll say a little bit about what that is in a moment, and the Eightfold Path. So all of these amazing teachings that we have, uh, and if you're not familiar with the Pali Canon, which is the collection of the teachings of the Buddha, there are many. (laughs) It is vast. And the essence of all of those teachings, according to one of the most uh, regarded, highly regarded translators, um, the essence can be found in, in, this, in this listing of teachings. So this is a very important part of this tradition and of this path. And so the Eightfold Path is actually part of the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths are uh, that there is suffering, that just the truth that there is suffering. Not that all life is suffering, but simply that there is suffering, that we have to, in some way, come in contact with that truth, that this is true in order to even begin this path, to actually um, realize that there is a need to practice in the way that we practice here. It's because there is suffering, and that there is a cause of suffering. This is the second noble truth, there is a cause of it. it it doesn't just come out of thin air that it is due to our uh, mostly due to our unsatisfactoriness with how life is that we have this uh, ability to um, overlay our our wants our disappointments our needs for things to be different other than they are. And when we do this, we are not actually present and in contact with the truth of how things are in any given moment. When we're not in contact and open and understanding how things actually are, we are, in fact, producing uh, dukkha. This is the Pali word, dukkha. I love this word in the sense that it really sounds like what it is, dukkha. And dukkha is suffering. It is our stress. It's our um, intense worry. It is our coming up against experience. So another word for dukkha, when it's translated more directly, is friction. To be, in, uh, to, to be coming up against how things are. And we have that, that feeling when we're stressed or things just aren't quite how we want them. There's this feeling, uh, sometimes vis- visceral feeling, of coming up against creating friction with how things are as opposed to being in the flow of life. Having that flexibility to move with the ever-changing nature of things. When we're in that space, we can breathe more fully. There's an openness that naturally arises. There's a kindness and compassion that is available. And then when it's not there, we get contracted. There's this friction, dukkha. So this is the second noble truth. The third noble truth is the truth that there is freedom from this dukkha that there's actually a way for us to let go, essentially, of our need to try and control, to fix, to manipulate, to make things fit in a way that we think will bring us more happiness. But as we're doing that, it's just creating that tension, that stress, that dukkha. So we can actually be free of this. It's wonderful news. It's why we're here. It's what inspires us to keep coming back, to keep practicing, to keep inquiring and looking deeper into experience to see what is actually true right now. Because when we do touch upon what's true, there's a release. There's freedom in those moments. So the fourth truth is the path that leads to this freedom. This is the eighth fold Path, and that's what we're going to explore together. And so the way that the Buddha has laid these four truths out is uh, very much like uh, a doctor would lay out uh, to a patient what's going on, what the disease is, or what it is that um, they're needing to treat in any given person. So the disease is the dukkha. It's this dis-ease with life. The diagnosis is the cause, that this is caused due to something that's being added to the experience. It's due to something that we've we've actually we believe in it seems so true but we are adding these overlays to the experience that it should be other than it is and this is creating this dissidence or this disconnection from what actually is happening this is that is the the diagnosis the cure is that there's freedom and the treatment is the eightfold path so it's just one, another way of looking at it all. So the Eightfold Path is laid out in, in different orders, depending on uh, where you are in practice, who is teaching it, um, and what is most helpful for you as the practitioner taking in the information. So I'm going to uh, go over these different ways that the Eightfold Path is laid out. Oftentimes we see it one through eight laid out uh, with all the different path factors in a very specific order. And so the order starts with, and they all start with wise or right, uh, implying that um, these are all coming from a place of a deepening of understanding and wisdom. Uh, So it'll be, uh, wise view or understanding is the first one. The second one is wise or, or right uh, uh, intention. The third one is wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. Was that eight? (laughs) Yeah, I think that was all of them. So oftentimes they're laid out, and I actually, I almost brought in papers so you could see this, because I don't know about you, but I'm a visual person, so me just saying all that, it might not Completely go in. Don't worry about it. Again, Google's your friend. <laughs> if you Google Eightfold Path, you'll get many, many lists that pop up on the screen, and they will most likely be in this this particular order. So this is the one through through eight. And it's laid out in this way in a very for for a reason. Those are coming in an order for a reason. I'm going to go into that reason in a moment. Um, And this particular layout is really helpful logistically for those of us who are new to the path. So we'll often see it laid out in this way, one through eight. Now, because it's laid out in this way, and I think also because it's called a path, we have this idea sometimes that it's like a ladder, that we do one and then we go to the next and then we do the next, you know, and we keep moving through or we keep walking down the path, and as we're walking, we're we're somehow fully completing each section of this path. But actually, it doesn't work that way uh, at all. I haven't met anyone who's actually experienced it that way. Um, I find it more helpful to look at these different path factors uh, more as strands of a rope. So if you have a, a giant rope that has been weaved together by many, many different strands of, of, uh, of string, or what would they call it? Yeah, string. That, that weaving of the different strands and how they keep meeting each other at different points in the weaving, uh, that is more like the Eightfold Path. That as you are practicing and cultivating all of these actually together, that they come together, and the more they come together and integrate together, the stronger your understanding becomes, the stronger, stronger your dharma becomes. So that's more realistic in terms of how the, eighth, uh, the eight path factors work together. There's a lot more to say about that that we'll, we'll talk about. But this just gives you kind of an idea. Now... Not to make this more complicated, but um, sometimes these are, these path factors are in a very different order, or somewhat different order. They are split up into three sections. And so the first two that I named, uh, which is wise view or understanding and wise intention are said to be the wisdom part of the path. And the word for wisdom in Pali is panya. P-A-N-N-A. Panya. So these are the wisdom parts of the path. And then the next three, speech, action, livelihood, are said to be the parts of the path that are um, associated with the development of harmlessness and harmony. sila. Uh, so sila is the word uh, in Pali. So this is the sila part of the path. And then the last part, uh, effort, mindfulness, compassion, is said to be really the, the practice, the meditation part of the path. Um, samadhi is uh, the name of this section. And uh, this is translated actually to concentration, which is one of the path factors, which is a little confusing, but it encapsulates all three of these practice pieces. So now we have these three sections, which is how we're going to go through the path together through the series. But um, just so you know, often these three sections are talked about in a totally different order. <laughs> so the first section is actually Sila. And this happens, my own experience and what, I'm, what I can understand from the teachings of the Buddha is that as we go into this practice, this becomes more of our understanding of the, how this path works and supports each other. So you have sila now at the top. Our, um, the way that we are in the world uh, absolutely affects our internal world our mental world, our emotional world, our heart world. So if we are walking around treating each other, treating others poorly, if we are um, telling lies and um, saying hateful things, uh, if we are uh, committing acts that are harmful to others, if our livelihood is not in line with non-harming, this will absolutely affect our ability to have right effort, um, mindfulness, and concentration, which is the next section when it's divided up into this, in this way. And so it goes sila, samadhi, this, this practice of meditation, we'll call it that, and then panya, Wisdom that through the development of these first two sections that uh, this is where panya, where wisdom emerges. So hopefully that's a helpful overlay of of what this path is. And if it's really confusing, don't even worry about it (laughs) because we're going to get into more detail about each path factor. What I've found personally when I first started practicing, which has been... I believe 11, 11 years ago, I started hearing these words and hearing this list. Uh, it just was a list. It was just a lot of words. And um, it sounded pretty good. And there was something in me, you know, intellectually that recognized that these are all really important things. And I should cultivate them and blah, blah, blah. But it took a lot of time, actually, for it to integrate inside myself. So it takes, it takes time for these lists to come alive, and that's what they do. The purpose of this practice is not, it wasn't given to us by the Buddha so that we could intellectually understand it. The purpose of these practices and this path is so that we actually know it from a cellular level, that it actually comes alive within us so that it's it's not coming from up here anymore, but it's coming from somewhere down here, this understanding, and that that is very much possible. And for, for some, it happens quite quickly. And it's a beautiful thing to have this roadmap uh, that's really within yourself, your own internal compass, if you will. So we're going to start this evening with uh, the panya section of the path. Even though sila samadhi panya, panya coming at the bottom uh, seems backwards, but actually, especially for those of us who are new to this, uh, the panya section of the path does come first. It's actually quite practical. We, to even be inspired to come here and to sit for 40 minutes and pay attention to what's going on internally and stay with it, there's something in us that has recognized uh, that there's some kind of wisdom in that. There's some understanding internally, even if we have doubts about it, which is totally normal and um, part of the path to but there's something that calls us to do this. And that's why we will start with uh, right view or wise view. I think I'm just going to use wise from here on out. Both are used in the translations, but I think uh, in our culture here, I know there's lots of different cultures here in the room, but um, I think just in a general way saying our culture here. We, this word right is a sticky word, <laughs> so I'm going to use the word wise. I think it, it, it works a little better for some people. So this wise view, or this wise understanding of how things actually are, starts with our understanding of the four noble truths, most likely with the fact that there is suffering. And so many people come to this practice because there is some level of dis-ease, this uneasiness. There's something in us that is looking for a way out of that. How many of you resonate with that statement? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if it's not the dukkha part that brings you in, it might actually be uh, the third noble truth that uh, there's happiness, that there's true happiness, and that perhaps this is a way towards that. And so maybe it's not the dukkha part that's so motivating, but the happiness that is um, in the ease or the relaxation or however you want to word it that that is something that's offered. How many of you were drawn to this because of that? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So there can be, and there can be both. (laughs) Yes, that's just fine too. But there's something that we have recognized, and this is the beginning of wise view, of wise understanding. I like this word, wise view. Lately, I've been playing with the analogy of a windshield. Um, I don't know about you, but since we've been in a drought, I haven't been taking my car so often to get it washed. Very little. And I don't have a garage, so my car sits outside. And so often I come to, you know, in the morning, I get in my car, and there's just a layer of pollen or dirt or, you know, whatever, Uh, has whipped up at night and stuck itself to the windshield. And sometimes, especially if I've got somewhere to be and I jump in my car and I just go, I can drive quite a ways with that dirty windshield. I can see just enough that it doesn't register, I should really clean my windshield. (laughs) And we operate in this way in life our view is um, often really distorted. There's a layer of, distor- of distortion on the way that we're seeing how things are. Again, that's where this, this friction with life, needing it to be some other way, uh, is coming from. It's something we learned when we were very young. It seems to just be the habit of our, our mind and uh, uh, perhaps uh, just as a human, human culture, uh, we have this ability to distort reality. And so we can go for a long time in that distortion and be functional. And so we don't wipe our windshield. We don't even know we can a lot of the time. And so when we come to this this path to this practice and we get quiet and we start to listen to our internal world. We start to get to know ourselves in this really intimate way without all the other distractions around us. Very slowly we start to see, oh wow, this mind is a little out of control or a lot out of control. All of these different thoughts and imagination and uh, perceptions of how things are right now, it's just wild. I, I shared this a few weeks ago, my first time coming to this practice. And how... Is it raining? Oh, beautiful. I love that. Yay. <laughs> Cleaning off our windshields. <laughs> Great. So when I first came to this practice being wowed by a five-minute meditation where I was supposed, the instruction was bring your attention back to the breath. Oh, sorry, the instruction was to count your breaths and every time the mind wandered to bring it back and start back at one. And I couldn't do it. (laughs) I couldn't get past five or seven or something like that. I got nowhere with it, which was kind of the point to you know there was no gold you know star at the end yeah you got to 100 or something like that it was really to point out that our minds are so untrained to to stay and be present with what's happening right now it loves to create it loves to create its own little world in there i call mine the drama of kate <laughs> and it is it's always going on and then i get these moments of real clarity and stillness, and uh, or I can see most most of the time it's just seeing. Oh, this is just the drama of Kate right now. This has very little to do with ha- what is actually happening. So anyway, we can we can operate for some time in the drama of you know fill in fill in your name, and not know that there's another way. Until we do, maybe we get this inkling that. God, this isn't working anymore. Or maybe someone you know has shared, "Wow, I'm doing this meditation thing or this mindfulness thing, and this is this is what it's doing." Or you read an article about it, or something something has brought you uh, information that oh, there might be another way. Maybe you've been seeking for something for a really long time and you've tried lots of different things and have found that there's lots of different ways because there are many different ways. It's not just this one way. And so we start to see, oh, I can actually clean that windshield a little bit. The Buddha actually, after he awakened, questioned whether or not he should teach this stuff because it was really deep and complex and he thought, how am I ever going to express this in words? I should just be quiet and continue on with my life in a quiet manner and not tell anyone about this. Who's even going to believe me anyway? And the, the story goes that, um, I believe it was uh, one of the, the devas or the celestial beings, which we've, we have a few up on the wall here, um, uh, came in and... Um, uh, begged the Buddha to please teach. And the, the famous line is something like, uh, please do this for the sake of those who have just a little bit of dust in their eyes. Just a little bit of dust. It's not for everyone. Not everybody is ready for this. A lot of people will just keep driving with the dirty windshield and they can do that in their own functional way. And actually, there's something okay about that that there's those out there with just a little bit of dust in their eyes and that's, that's you. That's you. <coughs> and so with just a little bit of dust we can start to clear that away and as we do that we start to understand something uh, that wasn't available before but it just starts with just that little bit of clearing and that's where we are in this path. So we start with this wise view, wise understanding. So then we come to what that inspires, which is wise intention. So once we're, we're able to... Um, see a little bit clearer. In fact, I believe it was in Bhikkhu Bodhi's book here uh, where he's, he says something along the lines of right view provides the perspective for practice where right intention provides the sense of direction. So we are inspired to somehow do something about this. There's a different way of, of being in this world even if it's just this little light of inspiration, of seeing. And so from there, wise intention can be born. So suddenly we have this sense of direction. This is possible, and this is what I'm going to do to stay in alignment with that possibility. So without that, it's like not only driving with a dirty windshield, but you're trying to get from A to B without a map, You have no idea where point B is. You're just going to start driving. (laughs) And most likely, you're not going to get even close to point B without some sense of direction. And perhaps it's that direction we're longing for. Please just tell me what to do here. This is so confusing. Life is complex. My internal experience is so confusing and all over the place. What do I do with this? And so we can drop into wise intention here. We might not know exactly where we're going, but we have now some way, just like on the GPS where it just says, you know, it just gives you that little piece of map. (laughs) It doesn't show you the full thing. It just shows, you, at least on mine, where you can just see that bit of road that's just take this block and then this block and then take your right turn, you know. And so it can just be that sometimes with intention. Just seeing enough to know that this is actually the direction I need to go in. And in the teachings of the Buddha, of course, The Buddha loved his lists. (laughs) So there's lists within lists. And with wise intention, there's um, three parts. It's the intention uh, for renunciation. Another way of saying this is to let go. And that can be of many things. But to let go of that that friction, ultimately. Let go of this viewpoint uh, that is not serving us. How do we let go of that? Renunciation. To have the intention for renunciation. The second is goodwill. To have goodwill or friendliness, the Pali word is metta. To act and act from a place of this internal goodwill. We may not always do it right. We're going to mess up. This is just how life is. We, we can't foresee the future. But when our intention is coming from a place of goodness, we can actually rest in that. We can have confidence in that. And so this, this intention to come from a place of metta or goodwill. And the third is harmlessness, which is similar to goodwill, but uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi relates it to compassion. Its opposite, then, of course, uh, would be to be harmful. Sometimes, sometimes we have that intention. Things like that, things are born out of that intention in us. We have that capacity, and so this is the opposite of that—to um, to act from a place of compassion, especially uh, with those who try our patience. For those who seem too different from us, how would we ever understand or connect with them? For those uh, whom we feel are judging us or are in some way even harmful to us, in some way, how can we act from this place that is in line with uh, wise view? So it's letting go, renunciation, metta or goodwill, and compassion or harmlessness. So these are the three in this particular section. And so right view and intention, you can start to see those particular strings in the weave of rope already come together. So with intention, intention inspires and influences our I'm sorry, view inspires and um, uh, influences intention. So if our view, our perspective on life is that of, uh, is coming from a place of more clarity, then the intentions born out of that view will naturally, the inclination is that of renunciation, uh, goodwill, and... Harmlessness. It's our natural inclination. We have plenty of all the other stuff too, each and one every one of us. We have great ability to, to not let go. So what? To cling, to um, hoard, to be greedy about things. Uh, selfishness. We all have that within us, too. We all have the ability to be, uh, to act from a place of ill will, from even hatred sometimes, from our own prejudices. That's deep inside of us. This is a capacity that we have as well. And then harmfulness oftentimes born out of the fear of our own demise in some way, whether it's physical or even just our self-image. Right? So we have this ability to be quite harmful. And all of that is born out of our, our non-understanding. If we truly understood, then we wouldn't... We wouldn't act from these places. We wouldn't harm each other. So view influences and inspires intention, and intention is like holding up a mirror to your point of view. If you have the strong intention of renunciation, goodwill, and harmlessness, and then you act in a way that is not in alignment with that intention. Naturally, what it does, if we're paying attention and we're willing to actually stay with the discomfort of seeing the parts of ourselves that we would rather not see, it is like having someone put up a mirror to us and seeing that somewhere in our consciousness or unconsciousness, we are holding on to something that isn't true. We're holding on to some overlay to the experience. We're holding on to something that's not wholesome or is just not helpful in the larger scheme of things. So it acts like a mirror to us when we're really in this practice, when we're dedicated to stay with. To stay with the dis- discomfort of seeing these parts of ourself, it takes a lot of courage. It asks a lot of us, That is, though, an essential part to this part of the path. In order to fully be free, we have to look at these parts of ourselves, these shadow parts. So sometimes it's called shadow work. The parts that are um, in our blind spots. The parts of ourselves that we'd rather not admit to and certainly not let other people see the parts of ourselves that we are faking, right? So oftentimes there's a face that we put forward in certain situations that is not authentic to ourself. That's dukkha. That is dukkha. I want to read to you. This is a um, beautiful book, Pema Chodron, uh, The Places That Scare You. A Guide to Fearlessness in Difficult Times. I'll just read a little passage from it. When we were digging the foundations for the retreat center at Gampo Abbey, which is in Canada, we hit, we hit bedrock, and a small crack appeared. A minute later, water was dripping out. An hour later, the flow was stronger and the crack was wider. Finding the basic goodness of bodhicitta, bodhicitta. Uh, so Pema Chodron, she's coming from the Tibetan tradition. We don't use the word bodhicitta so much, although uh, uh, that's a word that's somehow moving its way into popular um, pop culture. The way I'll just describe it right now is this, uh, this heart uh, and wise heart, wise mind when we are acting out of this place of wise heart and wise uh, mind, which is essentially panya. It is wise view and wise intention. So finding the basic goodness of bodhicitta is like that, tapping into a spring of living water that has been temporarily uh, encased in solid rock. When we touch the center of sorrow, when we sit with discomfort without trying to fix it, when we stay present to the pain of disapproval or betrayal and let it soften us, there are the times that we connect with with bodhicitta. Tapping into the shaky and tender places has a transformative effect. Being in this place may feel uncertain and edgy, but it's also a big relief. Just to stay there, even for a moment, feels like a genuine act of kindness to ourselves. Being compassionate enough to accommodate our own fears takes courage, of course. And it definitely feels counterintuitive, but it's what we need to do. And so going to these places that scare us, these places in our shadow uh, with With wise view, seeing that we're going to these places and bringing, we're not going anywhere, it's there, it's in us, right? It's not like we're going on some journey to find these places within us. We can sit down here in the hall for the 40 minutes and we might just have some of those appear. It's really the staying with, staying in touch with it, seeing that this too is a part of me. How can I fully be here with it? How can I get to know it so that it's not what is fueling my unwise view or my prejudices or my ignorance? How can that too, that part of me too, be part of my experience How can I bring that into the fold of my uh, open mind, my open heart, my compassion? How can that be part of that as well? And it's with our intention that allows us to stay there and to go back there. We don't need to go digging for these parts of ourselves. This is a very gentle practice. When we're ready, these parts of ourselves emerge And then it's really just up to us to stay with it. Our intention is letting go, harmlessness, and goodwill. How do we bring those aspects of our intention to these places within us? And that in itself is a beautiful foundation for our practice on this path. When we are saying, I'm committed to the Buddhist path, that is part of what we're committing to. It's not just about having, you know, really blissful experiences and de- you know, finding less stress in our, in our work life, although that is included in all of it, of course. We don't exclude any of our experiences. But there's something deeper here that's available if you're ready. And that's what this path offers. So we're just touching, you can see, we're just touching the tip of the iceberg here with even just these two factors. There's so much uh, depth and, uh, bounty (laughs) within just these two teachings, these two factors of the path. And so it's not that we just listen to these tonight and then that's it, that this actually then can be something taken into your consciousness and into your practice, Uh, in a more full way. So if this is something that is inspiring to you or something that is at least bringing in some curiosity to start bringing these two path factors into your consciousness every day in some way, in your practice while you're sitting, in your practice as you're just going out into daily life, bringing awareness, even if it's just asking the question, what is my view right now? What is my windshield? Is it dirty? Is it full of bugs and, you know, pollen and all that stuff? Or am I actually seeing this moment really clearly? What is my intention in this moment as I'm interacting with this person? Is it to get my way? Is it to feel good about myself? Or is it to be more in harmony to come from a place of metta, of of harmlessness? Can I let go of uh, what I am really hoping will happen in this moment and allow for something more natural and organic to flow between us? So many ways that we can start to bring these two aspects of the path into life. So I'm just conscious of time, and I'd like to leave a little bit of time for maybe one or two questions, especially if there's any confusion that's coming up and you're wanting some clarification. Um, So we'll just take a little bit of time for that if anyone has anything to say or ask. Yeah, and if you don't mind, Andrew, thank you so much, Um, just so that everyone can hear and also for the recording and speak into the mic.
1: Oh, you'll be able to hear me. (laughs) Big mouth, big voice. Um, You know, you were talking earlier about uh, when you're... Well, the way I kind of took it was if you're having problems to try to seek out the, 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 the... right view the, the truth um what if your windshield is so dirty with dukkha mm-hmm. <laughs> i like that word too um <laughs> that uh you 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 find yourself swimming upstream mm-hmm. you know and, and like you're getting nowhere you just keep coming back further and further um how do you go about stopping that and and coming back to, I mean, I've, 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 come back to the breath. I've come back to where I feel it in my body. I've, you know, and then five minutes later I realize I ran off and I'm back playing with mm-hmm. the dukkha again. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my question is, is to, with the right view, if I don't have the right view, then I don't have the right intention. Mm-hmm. And not now the dukkha that's inside me is going to be out here. Yeah, you know, in traffic, or uh, you, you know, whatever neighbor, or you know, just whatever at the grocery store. Or, um, how do you how do you go about that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and I think very relatable, right? Um, and so, what comes to mind was a teaching from the Buddha to his son Rahula when he was young. And the teaching was about, you know, when you are noticing the dukkha, no, just noticing the dukkha will have an effect on your view. Noticing, and some, I use this all the time, actually, when I'm just, I don't know what it is or what's going on. I'm, You know, that windshield is so dirty, but I do know this is dukkha. <laughs> and I can name that, this is dukkha, and right there, I have more clarity about what's happening because I'm conscious of that. My actions and intentions then naturally come from that re- just that simple realization. This is dukkha. Now, catching the dukkha is a whole other piece of practice. And so the, the teaching from the Buddha to Rahula is that we can notice it before. Sometimes we notice before we say and act From that place of dukkha, sometimes we're right in the middle of it, and it's coming out of our mouth. (laughs) And we can hear ourselves saying it and internally say, oh no, (laughs) I just said that, or I just did that, I can't believe it. But noticing it right in that moment has an effect on our view. It counts. (laughs) It it absolutely counts as far as what we do next, it counts in terms of the strengthening of our understanding, and it counts in terms of possibly catching it ahead of time next time, so catching it in the midst of the act, and then it's, it's happened, it might be days later, and suddenly we can feel that dukkha, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, or I wish I hadn't said that. That was really, you know, That was really mean. That was something I wish I hadn't done. Be with that. Really be with the dukkha of that. Um, and it's painful when we see, sometimes some of us have lots of ways we, um, distract ourselves from, from the guilt or from, uh, just really being with the dukkha of our actions. Um, But actually, the teaching is that too counts very much in terms of what comes next. You know, so um, when we can see it, even in retrospect, we are in that moment strengthening our wise view. And that has an effect on the next moment or many moments later. And so before, during, after... Lots of opportunity to practice with these parts of ourselves and with this dukkha. The teaching of karma, which is kind of in one way of uh, talking about karma, it's the cause and effect of our actions, so of everything. Because one thing happens, uh, it has a karmic effect on what's going to happen or what will influence the causes and conditions later and there's in a karmic way there's the dukkha that leads to more dukkha and that's the cycle that we're often in the dukkha that leads to more dukkha it's the cyclical that's the word i'm looking for cyclical thank you uh, motion of action where we just find ourselves in that same predicament or conversation or action and i can't believe i'm here again yeah this is the dukkha that leads to more dukkha and then there's the dukkha that leads to freedom. So that's, that's important, the dukkha that leads to freedom. We're going to mess up. <laughs> We're going to, you know, do things out of our non-wise view. If we can be with that and learn from that, it's that dukkha that gives birth to freedom. And so we can, we can take heart in that. Okay, so thank you for your question. I think actually we'll stop there so that we can end on time. So what we'll do last and what we always do is dedicate the merit of our practice here together. And this is also another very wholesome practice that we do every single week. It's a time to reflect that we may come here for ourselves and we may be practicing for our own benefit, but to know that when we are cultivating ourselves in this way, just us being here together, practicing in this way, spending time in this way as opposed to some other way, has incredible ripple effects. It affects the way that we are with the people we care about, our loved ones, our colleagues, acquaintances. And it also affects the people uh, that we don't even know. I like to think that these ripple effects are working in such a mysterious way that we can't even fathom what an effect it has when we are cultivating in this way. So this practice essentially is not just for us. The nature of this practice is that it is for all beings. And so we take a moment to dedicate our practice and our time here together to all beings, to those whom are close to us, to those whom are difficult to us, to those whom are seen and unseen by us. May this practice be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be content and have happiness in their lives. May all beings have safety from inner and outer harm. May all beings have health in the mind and in the body. May all beings have ease on their journey. May all beings be free. Thank you for your attention.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.